Our spiritual formation uh, initiative uh, coming up on the 20th uh, deals with four areas. Uh, the first of which is um, the foundation of our faith, the coming to Christ, the gospel, the understanding of the gospel of Christ, grace, mercy, forgiveness, com- confession, repentance. Our identity is rooted in Christ. And I find this um, to be so necessary in our world today. Um, many of you were what we call churched, okay? You came up in the church. Anybody come up in the church? Well, not everyone comes up in the church. They, they come up in, on a Sunday in the middle of nowhere and don't know what we're doing, and they come to Christ. They don't fully understand what they've done, the commitment they've made, and we've seen many people come to Christ here. That weekend, in part, is about helping people understand about the formation of their faith, the foundation of their faith, and how to begin their faith walk. I personally, at age 59, I'll be 60 on November 1st, the Lord's been knocking on the door of my heart and letting me know that what he wants me to do in some respects is start my walk over. I want to go back to the basics. Go back to what it was like when I was a young 20-something right out of an addiction. And I want to recapture that zeal, that passion for the word. I want to look and see if there's any cracks in my foundation. I want to, I want to shore things up. I'm going, to, I'm going to be about that going forward. I have 20 years of ministry in me coming up, and maybe more, and I'm going to start over again. I want to encourage some of you to consider such a thing. Maybe your foundation wasn't really what it needed to be. Well, that weekend would be something for you to, to come to. If not this one, the next one. It's important. Second thing we deal with, not only is foundation is, is freedom. Freedom in Christ. Freedom from strongholds. Freedom from unforgiveness, from bitterness. Freedom from perfectionism. Freedom from addiction. Freedom from false teachings, soul ties, things in your past, trauma. Third area is, what is this person of the Holy Spirit and what is his role in my life? How can I better understand his heart and his desire for me and his working through me. And the last is the lordship of Christ. So let's define a disciple for a moment. In simple terms, a disciple is simply one who is prepared to disciple another. Not all of us in this room are prepared as well as we could be to disciple another. So regardless of where you are in the Lord in your faith walk, one of these weekends will be the time where you get a further uh, shoring up and some training. Teaching and training are two different things. The word of God is supposed to be used for training and righteousness. Training and teaching are different. Many of you have teaching, not all of you have training. So there's some hands-on, there's some exercises, there's some things. And I have been spending some time looking at what the follow-up to that weekend is. I'm going to offer some things, offer some books, offer some reading, offer some exercises. I'm going to preach along the lines of what to do with this foundation, what to do with this freedom. And then the third, the Holy Spirit. And what are we going to do now with the Lordship of Christ? Lordship of Christ is, I think we, we look at salvation, but I think we miss Lordship. And that's where the fun begins. So anyway, having said that, I want to encourage you to sign up in the back. See Kim on your left as you leave. Put your name down. Let's, let's see if we can't 
have more than we need to come, and then we'll just, we'll have another one. All right, there it is. Now, we're talking about Paul, the apostle. He's, got, he's talking and he's concerned with this thorn in his flesh. It's not a literal thorn. I guess it could be. No, it's, a literal, it's not a literal thorn. It's a problem he has. It's a, it's a weakness that he has. And God is reminding him of that weakness continually for all the days of his life. And it's causing in Paul, here you go, a greater dependence upon God. Um, let's look at things like, uh, like, like our country. Our country, we have a cool country. We have the best country. We're the greatest country. And we have an Independence Day. Independence from what? From all the people we left. Religious freedom. We have all these rights. We have all these freedoms. Incredible con- uh, country. Incredible opportunities that we have here that no other country has or uh, some people just dream about. But at the same time, not only do we need an Independence Day, but this country needs to see that we are dependent upon God. And our independence from him on our own will be our ultimate demise. We need a dependence upon God. Everyone in this room has incredible qualities, incredible gifts and blessings and experiences. And you have tools in your life. You have resources that can be used to make a difference in people's lives. You can change scenarios. You, you have all kinds of things available to you. But not, not ever can we forget our weaknesses. Not in a condemning way, but in a way that makes us to lean on, lean in, and depend upon God, okay? And this is the spirit in which Paul is writing these words that I read to you right now. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Does anybody here have any weaknesses? Good. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. How odd. I will boast all the more gladly, not just boast about his weaknesses, but with gladness. How about that? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Said another way, on whom does Christ's power rest? The weak. And those who acknowledge their weakness are aware of their weakness, but are not defined by it. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. What? That's got to be a misprint. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Gosh, these words are loaded. Power made perfect. Power made perfect in a context of an awareness of weakness. Maybe you have someone in your life that reminds you, maybe often, perhaps too often, of your weaknesses. Listen, they're probably right. Frequency could possibly be wrong. But all of us can gladly come to awareness of our weaknesses. Walk 
and live out your faith walk with a limp. You'll have more credibility with other people, not if you're self-deprecating for self-deprecating sake, but if you're honest, open, vulnerable, transparent about the things that you have difficulty with. For the awareness and the acknowledgement and even the confession of the areas in which you're weak act as a written invitation to the Spirit of God to put it in order for incredible amounts of grace. Said another way, if you are tight-lipped, proud, not all too common to acknowledge your defects and weaknesses, you are disinviting the grace of God and his power to be made perfect in and through you. I think about sometimes as I look over the people here on Sunday morning, I bet there's someone, odds are, who's got a minimal relationship with Christ or maybe not even in the faith yet, outside of Christ, looking in, trying to figure out what this is all about. You got your life together, you've been successful, you reached your goals, you built your company, you sold it to an equity firm, you got your family, you got your health, you got your 401k, you got it all working, you got your... And then you're saying to yourself, you know, I did a pretty good job. Sure you did. You even helped people out. You even helped the poor. You do good things. There's nothing noticeable about you that is a glaring defect. You're a good person. But you have weaknesses. And you have needs. And you have a need of grace. And as cool as you are, as wonderful as you are, your righteousness is like a filthy oil rag. Ouch. Wait a minute. Don't run from that. Embrace it. Your righteousness, as great as you are, as wonderful a life as you lived, is so far below the standard of the righteousness of Christ that only Christ himself and what he did on your behalf can make you righteous. It's contrary, it's counterintuitive to the way we would look at life because we all want to live the American dream. We ought to do the thing. We want to get it done and we want to be successful, but we don't want to be successful and acknowledge the very need that we have for the very God who is the sufficiency for our deficiency of which we all have. His grace is sufficient. I I find this often. There's a continuum somewhere between There's mediocrity here. And then there's this continuum over to perfectionism, perfectness. How many of you um, play, I I never can pronounce this right. It's Sudoku, the puzzle, the number puzzle. I play it all the time. Why? I I like the fact that it challenges me to remember the numbers, uses my mind, keeps it active, And I do something that is kind of twisted. I play at the expert level, and my goal is to see how many games I can win in a row at the expert level without making a mistake. Worse yet, I play it on my phone 
for which my thumbs are 12 times bigger than they need to be to play on the phone. So now not only do I have a mental cognitive ability to make a mistake, but I have a physical challenge to hit the right button at the right time. One time I made it 27 games in a row at expert level without making a mistake. And it got to where I was shaking so hard on the 28th game, I screwed it up. I normally get to one or two games. That's how bad it is before I make a mistake. And it reminds me of our imperfections in life. It's a constant reminder of our imperfections. How absolutely impossible it is to be perfect. Now, we live in a world where we compare and contrast ourselves, body image issues, your children, grandchildren, everyone's comparing and contrasting to whatever, quote, perfection is. We're comparing our similarities, and they're not much, and we have plenty of the contrast, the differences, they're plenty. And we live in a world where we're just trying to figure out, where do I fit in? Because I don't feel like I have anything going on. And in the middle of all of that, God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Christianity is an invitation to weakness, an acknowledgement of weakness, a celebration of weakness, a gladness over weakness, because it is the conduit in which this power and sufficiency and grace, which we don't deserve, comes our way. If you want to keep yourself neat and tidy and acceptable in your own eyes, and you don't need God, then continue to build the facade of goodness, if not perfection, if not righteousness. You can enjoy that for as long as you want until, until the day you die. And you'll say to yourself, man, I should have paid a whole lot more attention to my weaknesses. They were invitations of God's power. I acknowledge this church is weak. I'm weak. This message is weak. You're weak. Everybody's weak. Come, power of God. That's what I say. You've got past, you've got trauma, you've got abuse, you've got divorce one, divorce two, divorce three. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. It's all weak. You've got troubled kids, troubled grandkids. Celebrate it. You've got confusion. You've got anger. You've got a temper. Celebrate it. Let the power of God come in and make it perfect. That's the first step, confession, acknowledgement, openness. A wise man, the proverb says, is open to instruction. After a long absence from the stage, pianist Vladimir Horowitz was to perform in Chicago. Franz Moore, the chief concert technician for Steinway & Sons, was assigned to make sure the piano was in perfect condition. He did so to the best of his ability, but wasn't able to relax until Horowitz had given a brilliant rendering of his first number. As was his custom, the pianist left the stage, but didn't return. Moore was summoned backstage. Where have you been? exclaimed Horowitz. I cannot play again, he says. I can't do the second song. The piano stool is far too high. Moore nervously inquires as to the size of the problem, and Horowitz held up his hand his thumb and forefinger about a quarter of an inch apart. That's no way to live. I see people coming to church and 
They come in, have been, maybe never been, haven't been in a while, they're sizing up the situation. You know what the number one question people ask before they go to a church? What should I wear? It is. What should I wear? And our church is, should I shower? Huh? That's how real we are. Who got an elbow from their wife? Huh? We're a little more relaxed around here. First John 1 and 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and our truth is not in us. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We all fall short of the glory of God. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I hear people say this sometimes, Christianity's a crutch. And I thought, yeah, I'll buy that. I'll go with that. When I came to church, seven years inebriated, at the end of my rope, nearly suicidal, it's all I could do to crawl to the pew and sit down and cry every Sunday night as the Holy Spirit washed over that congregation. That's all I could do, sit there almost in a daze after seven years of wasted time and self-abuse. And I couldn't even walk out my faith. You're darn right I needed a crutch. Sure. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I really started to move and grow as till I acknowledged I needed one. What do you think spiritually lame people need to get going? Church for me and discipleship for me was not some studious cognitive academic exercise. It was physical therapy. It was spiritual therapy. It was getting moving in, in ways I, using spiritual muscles I'd never used before, using spiritual thoughts that never crossed my mind, going to spiritual directions I didn't even know existed, trusting someone to mentor me and lead me along. And then all of a sudden they put 100 teenagers in front of me and said, go at it. Yeah, I needed a crutch. What's wrong with that? I'm the first to admit it. I was weak. And I'm going to be the first to admit as I start my walk over in, in some ways that I'm weak now. And man, I'm hoping I get in touch with weaknesses I'm not even aware of, for therein lies yet another invitation for the grace of God. For where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. This is not supposed to be some heavy, pretentious facade we paint about who we are in Christ. Act one way here and go act another way out the door. No, let's just keep it real. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Here's a guy that wants, you know what he wants from me? Acknowledgement of my weakness. Why? Because he wants to be more involved in my life. What do, if I, what do we need him for if I don't have any weaknesses? I mean, he desperately wants to be more active in my life. He's patient about it too, is he not? Weakness. Spurgeon put it this way. Great tribulation Brings, breaks, brings out the great strength of God. I tell you, the, the, the McKim family right now, great trial. Great trial. Specifically Barrett, 
Whole family, emotionally, spiritually, great trial. But what does it do? Magnifies the great strength of God, the sufficiency of God, the sustaining power of God, the abiding presence of God, the call to, to, to dependent prayer, to, to worship. You know what trials do? You know what trials do in a persecuted church? They call the church to deeper, 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 deeper levels of worship. When you, when, when you don't have anything to worship because you have it and came from God and you have nothing but trial and enemies and tribulation and persecution, that's where it really starts getting good. That's where the worship is purified. There's no dross. It's not an exercise. It's not ceremonial. It's not a ritual. It's not three songs and out. There's a deep soul anguish longing to worship a God when you sit with nothing but opposition. Read Revelation. I just summarized the majority of the book of Revelation. When is Christ most revealed? When we're least blinded by the world and we're sitting in our own nothingness. Ah, that might be the Sermon on the Mount too, sorry. Great tribulation brings out the great strength of God. If you never feel inward conflicts and the sinking of your soul you do not know much of the upholding power of God. You're here today and you're, you're in a bad spot. You're depressed. You're broke. You're depressed over your brokenness and your poverty, whatever. Oh my gosh, what a great place to be. Don't miss the opportunity for the grace of God. Like a fire hose, whoosh. It's on your belly on the floor with your face in the hardwood or the carpet where the glory comes. Weakness. Emptiness. Void. Look what God did with a void. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and it was good. When God had a void, he brought order. When he had darkness, he brought light. Confusion, he brought clarity. Uncertainty brought creativity. Some of you in your counseling with me, I already know this, you're in a bad spot. And it's like this, throughout each and every week. Oh, my friend, what an opportunity you have. Your discomfort is a written invitation to the Spirit of God who comforts all who mourn over their own sin. We want to make that about losing a loved one, but don't miss the point. He comforts those who mourn over their own weakness and acknowledge it as much. That's why the poor in spirit and the meek and the persecuted come out ahead. They're so in touch with their need of God. If you never feel inward conflicts in the sinking of your soul, if you do not know how much of an upholding, you don't know much about the upholding power of God. But if you go down, down, 
into the depths of soul anguish till the deep threatens to shut her mouth upon you. And then the Lord rides upon a cherub and does fly, yea, rides upon the wings of the wind and delivers your soul and catches you away to the third heaven of delight. Then you perceive the majesty of divine grace. Oh, there must be the weakness of man, felt, recognized, mourned over, or else the strength of the Son of God will never be perfected in us. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. To go up, to ascend, to enjoy, to revel in, to find the recreation and the the bliss and euphoria of the Holy Spirit. What most people don't realize is they go seeking that at the expense of going down. Resurrection follows downwardness. Acknowledgement, honesty. There's a whole new birth to your walk if anything exists beneath your soul that needs questioning, acknowledgement, acceptance, confession. Repress it and keep pouring it down there and you're costing yourself. That's a freedom that exists for you and I, waiting to be opened as a gift after the exploration of our own weakness. Should it be there? Alan Redpath, the British evangelist, put it this way, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you see the humor of the situation, he says? Is his grace sufficient for little me? Like grace is huge, abounding, infinite, divine, incalculable, uh, immeasurable. It, it's so, so beyond what we even think is available to us. It's so beyond the finite confines of our mind. There's a grace available to us proven by the demonstration of God's love on the cross, his crucifixion. That grace is massive. And high, wide, long, and deep is the love of Christ. Is grace sufficient for little me? How absurd to think that it could ever be different. As if a little tiny fish could swim in the ocean and fear lest he might drink the ocean dry. The grace of our crucified, risen, exalted, triumphant Savior, the Lord of all glory, is surely sufficient for me. Do you not think it is a rather modest of the Lord to say sufficient? What a bummer to try to tell people who you are with the confines of the English language or any language for that matter. You want to know why people speak in tongues in heaven? You don't actually think they're going to go up there and speak English, do you? Do you think some angel's going to walk up to you in English? Man, they got their own language up there. It's the language that is sufficient to actually describe the splendor and the glory of God. You want this language? This is nothing. I long for words up here to get it even million miles away from the blessing and splendor of God. There's nothing, I got no tools, I got nothing up here. God says, I got a language, man. 
Half of you are scared of speaking in tongues. You're going to do it for all eternity. Joke's on you. That language is the only one that I guess God has that's going to come close to describing how cool he is. If you want a God that can be described with the limitation of the English language, you got to get your thinking up. Oh, heaven. Oh, man. Grace. Like an ocean. You and I, minnows. Let me tell you why grace is sufficient. I see this more and more. People have been exposed to false teaching, legalism, cults, bogus ministers, charlatans, you name it. It is unmistakably the most difficult situation in which to minister to another person. It is. I find it the most difficult. Why? Rightly so, the person has developed a guard and a sensitivity to anything that comes out of anybody's mouth that it could put them right back to where they were, and they're, they're on guard of being deceived. But the hypersensitivity keeps them from ever really receiving anything. So the very thing they need to overcome the, the bogus teaching they got earlier, they can't really receive because they can't trust it. God has a freedom for that. They usually leave. They'll go to another church and then they leave. They get scared that they're gonna get in an area, they're gonna actually be caught into something like they were before and they can't stand the notion that that would happen to them twice. It is horrible. That's why most of the New Testament is about false teaching, Gnosticism and legalism. That's why, that's, that's why they, they had to clean that up real quick. Get used to it because there's more and more false teaching out there. Unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, perfectionism, controlling behavior. Controlling behavior is, is simply the result of not every time, but often trauma, abuse. Someone was in a situation they couldn't control, someone else controlled them, and now the tendency is for the rest of their life to control everything around them so as to protect themselves, freedom. There's a grace for that. There's a freedom for that. There's a liberty for that. 25% of our population has to know that there's a liberty for that. There's a grace for that in Christ. Oceans of it. Listen to me, oceans of it. Acknowledgement and an invitation for the Spirit of God to bring that kind of grace. Don't sit there with a Dixie cup. Ask for an ocean. It's needed. Retribution, soul ties, abuse, oppression, footholds and strongholds. I'm scratching the surface this morning. Let's get ready to close. I find this congregation to be the most encouraging lot of people I've ever met. You have so much wisdom, experience, understanding, giftedness in areas of life that I couldn't touch. Almost all of you are not quite as good at golfers as you think you are. I will say that. I will say that. 
but the acknowledgement of our weaknesses and our needs. Not to a point of condemnation. Why would one stand before a God with oceans of grace and acknowledge their weaknesses? The motivation is not condemnation. The motivation is a deeper, richer, more intimate relationship with the God of oceans of grace. You have within you the spirit of the living God who wants to grieve, who wants to mourn, who wants to celebrate, who wants to empower, who wants to impart grace with the worst word you could use to explain the, the expanse of it, sufficiency. Yeah, it's sufficient. <laughs> Come on, more than sufficient. It's extravagant. God is extravagant. He's extravagant with his grace and his love. He lavishes his love upon his children. He's, he's wasteful. He, he, like, he doesn't have a cup full, it runs over. He is, he's like, I own everything anyway. I'm a cattle on a thousand hills. If I want to spill water all over the place, I will. If I want to have 12 baskets left over, I will. If I want to pour my love out upon people more than they can contain, I will, because I'm God. And I have oceans of grace. We're over here begging for a drip out of the faucet. The deluge comes when the people who receive it, just at the place where they have the maturity to bring him glory for it, and will make a disciple of another. That's a lot to think about. So let's do that. God said to Mary, the angel said to Mary, ponder that in your heart. Well, before you get out here and whatever's gonna happen, happen. Ponder your weaknesses and be glad in them today. Do that during this song. Let this song just wash over you. Let it minister to you. You and the Lord, just you and the Lord for the next few minutes. <laughs>